Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. Today, I have a really exciting guest, and he's exciting because one, and with full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. And number two is he went through a really trying time. At one point, he was one of our most important leaders in our correction facilities. He was the president of the Correction Offices Benevolent Association. Is that how it goes, Norman? That's how it goes. Right. And uh, we were friends for a long, long time. And uh, through the years, uh, there was a lot of things that happened. And then all of a sudden, you got caught up in something. Yes. And something that sentenced you, I think, how many months was your sentence to? They, they, well, first of all, good morning to you. Good okay. morning to your listeners, Bo. It's yeah. fantastic to see you. You look great, you know, um, and I feel that uh, God has blessed you. Well, uh, hey, you could, it's written all over you, man. You look good. You really look good. I just so, had a four-hour prostate operation four <laughs> weeks ago where they jammed something for four hours. I don't know about that. On the outside, it looks good. But inside, I'm probably deteriorating. No, you're going to be fine. You're going to yeah. be fine. But, uh, you know, let's let's talk, first of all, a background on you, where you started, where you come from, and all that, Norman. I was born and raised in the South Bronx, yeah. um, in the fourth, in the actually Fort Apache precinct area, and you would know that. Yeah. That's right, the four one. And I lived in the South Bronx with my mom, my brothers and sisters, my siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up there and um, became a New York City correction officer. What year in, was that? In 1985, when I became God, a correction officer. That's when I retired. <laughs> <laughs> so I became a correction officer in 1985, actually because my mother-in-law. Uh, she was a nurse in a state facility called uh, State School. That's what she worked at. Then it became Mid Orange Correction Facility. And she encouraged me to take every exam that came up. And I took the exams for police department, correction department, and the correction department called me, and I became a New York City correction officer in 1985. I think as young kids in New York, our parents pushed us for civil service. Go do your civil service time, get that pension, absolutely, and do it. And I, I'm a product of that also. So then you didn't go on the police department. You went right on to the correction. Yes, I went to correction, and then the police department called me a year later. But at that time, I had already completed my probationary period as a correction officer. So I said, you know what? We're getting about the same amount of money, so I'm going to stay where I am. So I stayed at a uh, facility called the uh, Adolescent Reception Detention Center, which is ARDC on Rikers Island. And then I went to different other posts throughout the uh department. Uh, And in 1993, you know, I became very discouraged the way that the prior administration was treating uh, the members, the union. Mm -hmm. And I started in- Was that Peter Dinkins? uh, That was Dinkins. That was his administration. Uh, Who was the correction commissioner at that time? uh, I want to say that was Jackie. Jackie McMickens was one of them. Mm -hmm. When when, uh, that was around, I want to say that Dick Kohler was a commissioner. That was around. Seeloff, uh, he mm-hmm. was a commissioner, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when Dinkins was around. And I began an uphill battle uh, to become the president of the Correction Officers Benevolent Association. And, and part of your platform, I think, was most important was to protect 
the COs, the correction officers against any violence against them. And people don't realize when you're a correction officer, you're locked in the cell. You're locked in with these criminals. Some of them are good people, but some of them are scumbags. This is and true. some of them would cut your throat in a second. And they had plenty of that. I remember an incident where correct where a correction officer, an inmate grabbed her. Her, her name was Lisa. I'll never yeah. forget this. He grabbed her from behind, put her in a, in a headlock, and took a razor blade and slashed her face and yeah, gave her, yeah. oh, oh my just God. Just on the face. It was horrible. It was horrible. She must have received like 100 stitches. Wow. All right, he opened her up, and nobody did anything about it. You know, it was sort of like, eh, another assault on staff. And those things just could not happen. I could not allow those things to continue to happen. They continue to this day happening in the in the agency. Uh, uh, right now, it's happening more than it was when I was there. So I became president in 1995. 1995. And I worked diligently to get all of the benefits that benefit correction officers and their families. And George Pataki, uh, governor of the state of New York, who I love dearly. Uh, Good friend had, of mine, Yes, too. he has given correction officers the opportunity to be treated equally and fairly as opposed to the prior administration. The I think it was the Cuomo administration did nothing for correction officers. Mm-hmm. And it became a problem. So I became president. George Pataki signed... 35 pieces of legislation for me, heart bill, three-quarter bill, variable supplement wow. bill. And it you was got just, this all for the members. All for the members, all for the members. Mm-hmm. And the members receive uh, the VSF, just like police and fire were the only two that were allowed to receive this. But he, George Pataki gave it to correction officers as well. That gives correction officers an additional $12,000 a year, every year for the rest of their life that they're alive on top Variable of their pension. Variable supplement. That right. Is that is, that's exactly right. I didn't right. get that because I, I retired with half ordinary disability jumping out of a plane with a couple of towelhead princes from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and in California, I couldn't say it was on the job. I had 30 line of duties, but I, I could have played the game on any one of them. But you know, when you go line of duty, you got to do light duty for half a year, a year yeah. before they approve it. Mm-hmm. And I was going, I just locked up that guy for the Palm Sunday mess, uh, massacre, Christopher Thomas. Yes, I Palm remember Sunday that case. Massacre. Yes, I remember And he that killed case. the 10 people, including eight kids. Mm-hmm. And I was so depressed about when they told me, Bo, sit out a typer. Uh, you know, you, that's it. We're not putting your full duty. I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have a captain that I know has one leg and they put him back on. But both Italy, a little <laughs> controversy because I didn't give a shit about nobody. And I tell you, I went after Jimmy Sullivan was the chief of detectives that got pissed off at me. And I told and Jim uh, Guido, uh, uh, Guido. Uh, Guido was the head of internal affairs. He said, Bo Dito, I'll put handcuffs on you one day. I said, you may fire me one day for some disciplinary action, Mm -hmm. but you'll never lock me up because I don't do nothing that's going to get me locked up. Mm -hmm. So I dealt with that. I was was a fighter, not just on the street. I went after everybody. And you're still a fighter. Every gang on the Upper East, in Upper East Harlem, the Savage Skulls, just seven immortals, everybody. Savage nomads. Yeah. Savage. I went yeah. after them personally with my partner, Tommy, and we were like a one-man crime wave against the criminals because <laughs> I didn't care about, you know, they wanted to fight. If they throw some punches at me, I didn't lock them up after I had fist fights. I'd say, listen, if I got to come back here, you if you're extorting this store, I'm coming back and I'm beat the hell out of you. Next time I'm locking you up. And I leave him laying there. But back then it was a different era. It was totally different. Yeah. Man. It's not like that anymore. Well, even with the corrections. I mean, then if you had a, 
We'll look at we're, we're talking guy to guy now. Yes. Satchel limitations are over. So as long as you didn't kill anybody. So basically, it was something where a guy needed a tune-up. And your guys, I'll never forget, the correction officer, I loved them over at the tombs. And I'm going back into uh, late 70s, early 80s. No, late 70s, beginning early 80s. And I had all the correction guys with my friend. Who was that? That Puerto Rican guy, uh, Good-looking guy. What the hell was his name? He opened up the private prisons with a C, and uh, uh, he was a deputy uh, uh, deputy warden. Uh, Good-looking fella there. And Joey you, Cologne? Yes, yes. Joe yes, Cologne, yeah. Joe Cologne. Joe and Cologne. Good man. Before you came on, all my CO guys all knew me. We used to drink in Marufi's across the street from the tombs, and I would be at Val's, Happy's, and Fellini's. And when they had a scumbag there, mm-hmm. and I used to wear a suit back then. I used to come in with a suit on. People thought I was a lawyer. But I'll never forget when they raped um, my prisoner was in there, raped a 16-year-old. This is before they subdivided the mm-hmm. adolescents mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that. And they held him down, and then all of a sudden— the uh, uh, court officers, all my friends, everybody was my friend. And they would call me in there and say, but we had a problem with this guy. And I, I said, okay, let me just get in there. And I was pretty good with my hands. And I would go in there and I'd tune up a guy. You tune know what? Up. Today, <laughs> Scapetta came after me a couple of, fuck you, Scapetta. You, Scapetta, you never got me, so fuck you. And I could say fuck you on my podcast. This is your podcast. Yeah. That's right. Scapetta came after me many a time. But I tell you what, a lot of the prisoners that I, you know, tuned up with stand-up guys. I used to buy them sandwiches. But at the end of the day, yeah. a lot of the guys that got tuned up or or whatever yeah. got a confrontation, yeah. they knew that that was part of what they were doing. Right, and when you're and holding you a 16-year-old you you yes. white kid down that was in there for pot, and you're raping that kid. Yeah, that's and, a problem. And I mean, then when I find I said, well, what happened? He goes, you know, you know. And I said, what do, what do I know? I says, all I know is this young little punk kid in here for pot got raped by you and four of your friends. Well, you know how it is. I says, I know. I said, how about you know? And I cracked him. I broke his nose. He had to go to Beekman. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I bought him a veal called the Parmesan Hero. Mm-hmm. When I went mm-hmm. back in there, and I says, he never gave me up. He knew he deserved what he got. And <laughs> this is what the, life that's was. What, that's right. That's when, back in the days, that's what you had to deal with. Yeah. But you see, what you're dealing with now in the New York City Department of Correction is you're dealing with the situation where the officers are being assaulted daily. Wow. And I've heard uh, the interviews that take place and have taken place with the present correction commissioner. But I think he's a little disingenuous. Yeah, he was on yesterday on, on a WABC. Yes. What are some of the issues that you heard he mentioned yesterday? Well, he talked that- about how wonderful things are in the Department of Correction and how it's important that, you know, they take and build jails outside and close Rikers Island. I think that closing Rikers Island is a huge mistake. I think because what you're doing is you're putting jails in communities and you're giving these young kids the opportunity to see these kids in these jails playing basketball and they're walking to school and they have to be disrespected on their way to school. The gangs are going to be hanging out in front of these buildings, getting their orders from their chiefs or whatever they are. And it's And we know they're using these these, uh, 
13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids to carry the guns, right. to do That's drug right. dealing and all that. And when they see a guy with a new motorbike and all that, this this is like their heroes. The same, and I'm not going to knock rap, rap music because I like rap music, but you know, when you epitomize gang violence and all the bull crap and all the bullshit, you know, this is what they epitomize. Why not epitomize someone with a good education that becomes something in life. But this is what the kids on the street are looking up to. And it's horrible because this is our future is our youth. And when they're being trained by these gang banging little punks mm -hmm. out there and nobody's dealing with them, they get locked up with guns three, four, five times and right out, right out. And we have a cadre of uh, district attorneys like this moron Bragg here in Manhattan. I mean, it, it's just, it, irks me. And we have laws. And I've told Eric Adams, I'm one of the biggest supporters of Mayor Eric Adams. I support him when he ran for state senator. I raised, I think, fifty or $100,000 right out of the Galco. Mm -hmm. I've stepped mm -hmm. borough president, mayor, mm -hmm. and everything. And I'm praying because everybody likes to knock him, but he's a lot better than Big Bird de Blasio, but he can't be everything to everybody. Understood. And again, when you got a Governor Como on here yesterday on the air for an hour saying, oh, I didn't do anything wrong with the nursing. Then he said, I didn't do anything wrong with the bail reform. You signed the damn bill. Yes. You should have yes. fought it. We know what we're dealing with when you got this little punk there, uh, uh, the assemblyman there, uh, uh, the little midget there, uh, uh, not Stuart, Stuart Cousins, the lady. Call Hastings. Call Hastings. And when he's so indignant, what about the kids, Carl, uh, Miss Stuart Cousins? What about the children that are being killed on the streets? Don't you have any feeling for those kids? And why they could be so, you know, let's let's moderate it. Let's give a little here. Let's give a little bit there. And let's have a, a way of letting a judge way out. And then the federal law with guns is right there. Yes. And I've been talking to Eric and I said, I would come out of the woodwork. I don't need no car with lights and sirens. Mm -hmm. I don't need nothing. Let me be your your spokesperson to the U.S. Attorney's Office. If a guy gets locked up with a, go, a loaded gun and he's a convicted felon, there are federal laws. They get 10 to 15 years. Why aren't we implementing? Because I guarantee you the shootings and the murders will go down. Well, I, I said that yeah. years ago when I had a, yeah. I had a radio a radio show that I used to do on um, WBLS. Yeah. And I said that it should be mandatory, absolutely mandatory, seven years you get remember caught with a gun. Remember we grew up, the That's Sullivan right. Law? That's right. I and remember all that. All those things are gone like, like an old, Like an old ghost. It's the, gone. Uh, if you get locked up with a gun, the Sullivan Law, you're going to do seven years. It's a joke. These guys getting locked up four or five times with guns and, and they're out. being released. In and out. In and, and out. these are the same repetitive shooters that have no feeling for human life, and who are the victims? The so victims are the ones in the communities in which we live in, the, the communities of black girls, and Latinos. It, two little girls horrible. were shot dead last week. That's I think right. 111 and 115 that's years right. old by that's stray right. shots by these gangbangs. Where is the outrage? That's right. You there know, should Noah, be. I'm sorry for getting angry because no, you, I just— you're right. You're and absolutely right. And these ain't right. white kids. These no. are black kids in Killing the community. Killing each other, and it has to stop because it's at a point where you can't even go out— and be safe anymore. These kids have nothing. They're trapped in their homes because their parents are afraid to let them outside because they don't even know if they're coming back home if they let them outside. Mm -hmm. And I think a bigger problem when you look at all of the situations that's going on is you, we both grew up where we had vocational technical schools growing up. They don't teach these kids no. anything in high school anymore. They expect them to leave and go to college. They're not going to and college. They, they have read. nothing. They, they can't have do nothing. anything. And they're not right. rewarding good teachers. No. And then they come up with all this woke 
bullshit. And it, that's is not this is not what our country's about. These children should be helped if they need the educated. Look Absolutely. Our, our own mayor was dyslexic. Is mm-hmm. dyslexic? Eric Adams. I, I tell you, I love Eric Adams. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. right on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, is 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 he what I thought it was gonna be? Let's let's wait and see. But my point is that he's the perfect example of someone with dyslexia rising above it. And, you know, one of the things that I'm involved in, and you'll love this, is with David Banks. Now, David is a friend of mine. Phil, I know everybody. There's a thing called uh, 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 Beable, be able, be able to be anything you want. It's a software where you monitor a kid when he's five years old, Uh six years old in the first grade. You monitor him right to the high school and out if you want to go to college or trade, but you monitor him where he needs help. And the teacher, the parent, everyone now gives him a support system to teach him. If you're down in your reading, you're down in your math, they see it and they help it. These programs with the technologies that we didn't have are there and everyone's working with a computer. Bingo. I've talked to the uh, the chancellor. I says, this is it. Because once we can change education for kids, kids growing up, they know there's other places to go other than putting yourself out into crime. If you want to be a, a policeman, a fireman, or if you want to be a plumber, an electrician, God but knows. But those, those things have to be taught because, boy, right. they don't have it in schools anymore. Right. They're at a point in schools right now that I believe, this is what I believe yeah. personally, I think that they need to have mental health guidance from the time they enter school all the way up because these children don't have an outlet. They come to school, yeah. that's their safe that's zone, it. but then they go home and they're yeah. beat. They yeah. get beatings or they're psychologically abused or they're molested or whatever the case would be. And they keep that into themselves and they grow up, become older. And now they have a problem at 30, 40 years old and they're on the streets or on the subways, but they didn't get the help did, that they needed years ago. Did you ago. know what the uh, education of graduates from high school is with reading and math? It's like discouraging. I think there's something like 35 percent of them are reading at levels where they can enter college. I got a problem with that. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. Why aren't we helping them? That's right. So we're going to go from education because that's our seeds. These are the people. You and I will be long gone. Yes. My grandchildren, your grandchildren, your children. This is what our future is. Yes. And we got to take that on. Now, the other important thing is, which we're facing, the mental illness. Big problem. And this is something that I really want you to take on it. You know, it all comes about with this Marine, whatever he did. I used to use a headlock. Norman, if I didn't use a headlock 200 (laughs) times and yanked him until he... Sometimes they blacked out, but yes, they but yes. they did awake. Yes. I never killed no one, Norm. Right. You know, I've been shot at, stabbed, hospitalized 30 times. I never killed no one. So I think I'm a bit of an authority on a headlock, okay. i.e. choke off. But right now, if a cop's trying to run, imagine me trying to take down a guy. I took down the Hayes brothers. They were Nicky Bond's boys up in Harlem. Yes. These, these young men, young men, these, <laughs> they killed the Mount Vernon cop, and then they didn't want that Polaroid taken. I got in a cell with them, and I was fighting with them. I got my headlock on him. And, you know, the point mm-hmm. is, what happened with this Marine? And there were the, the people are missing. There was a young black guy that was helping. Okay, okay. There was a young black guy that was helping holding this guy down and another one. Mm-hmm. And he had him in the headlock choco, whatever you want to call it. 
Did he hold it too long? Well, obviously, you don't want that young man. And they love to throw the picture up from 11, 12 years ago with his Michael Jackson. Right, right, right. That ain't the way it is. And then when they go into the neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. when you get a gangbanger, Mm -hmm. they find that communion friggin' picture Mm -hmm. from 25 years ago with his making his communion. This is not what we're dealing with. And, you know, right. and then they're, they're insulting people's intelligence. And when you speak out the way I do, and I'm sure you're going to, mm-hmm. we have to blame the mental illness on us not being able to take them off the street. That's right. When they are violent, homeless people. That young man that died, nobody wanted to see that man die. Not I. I feel for Absolutely. him. But the point is, whose fault? It's the city of New York for not forcing these mentally ill and getting them off the street. Now, we got Rikers Island. We got a big island over there. Right. And that's something. Forget about these frigging immigrants. I'm getting off that crap. I'm talking about about the mentally ill homeless people that are just revolving around. I'm so surprised there's not more deaths of normal people being stabbed and shot at and all mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day I, I drive around with these guys with these motorbikes with no license plates right. and they're cutting you off in there and they're ready to start in. What can we do with the mentally ill? I think that the mental issue is is important starting at grammar school because those are the individuals that grow up to become those individuals on the street because they have not had the help that they needed throughout the years and it just gets worse. And I think that in order to combat that problem, you have to start. The mayor has to implement a policy in this board of education starting now that any child coming into the system has the opportunity, forget this guidance counselor stuff because Mm. the guidance counselor sits in the office and does absolutely nothing. nothing. I think that the person has to be in the classroom to be able to monitor these students and get the opportunity with proper training to be able to identify a child that has a problem. I love to start from the beginning. You have to start from the beginning. But what do we do with the ones that are out there now? What do we do with that? I think the ones that are out there right now, they have to have a place for them to be they can, where they can, absolutely. They can forcibly take a person who's violent off the street so they the don't hurt themselves. They absolutely. So you don't have someone someone uh, fighting against them and all that. You have to. You have and to. city council, because these are a bunch of morons there. I know you don't want to say it. I'll say it. They don't really care about anything. They're all about defunding the police, defunding yes. the correction. We yes. defund them. What are we going to have? Well, they did. Fund, they defunded the correction department already without people even realizing it because there's a piece of legislation that I received from Governor Pataki that says any individual working in the Department of Correction that has working relationships and working directly with inmates must be a correction officer. They now have all of these civilians mm. that are now doing it. That's in violation of the law. Right. They, they, they came out with this ridiculous problem when you have an EDP, emotionally disturbed person, mentally ill mm-hmm, person, mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to send these uh, counselors over yeah. there. Right. Yeah. And then when the that count, yeah, when he, yeah, yeah. How'd that work out? It yeah. didn't work out. It's ridiculous and it's enough that police officers and correction officers have a training and are able to deal with it Absolutely. without them taking them out. And Absolutely. you don't want to know something? That's the last resort Absolutely. as far as that goes. But there has to be an ability of the mayor pushing city council, we have, we have to implement the violent ones. Well, he's got to fight talk- back. He yeah. can't allow the city council to just do what it is that they want to do. Because it, when you when we talked about a little bit about the jails being built in communities, that's yeah. going to lower 
the value of the person's home in that community. Right. So everything that they've worked for and everything that they've built is now being taken away because you're putting a jail down the street from so, where they live. So we'll leave like this, not leave, but we're going to say like this, Mayor Eric Adams, my good friend, Norman Seabrook, who knows yes. more about criminals and live with them and knows about the mentally ill probably more than anyone. And was in jail. And, and, and he was. We'll go, <laughs> we're going to just slightly hit on that. But you're more important to me what you're saying right now. And then we're going to talk about the defunctation of what happened with you. But you're more important for your knowledge and what we're talking about now. But the reality is Mayor Adams, and you could, uh, my radio station could use this as a clue, as a cue. Please, let's reevaluate the violent, mentally ill Absolutely. on the streets. And let's go, you, Mr. Mayor, go before the city council and request when you have a violent, homeless person Absolutely. that we have the ability to take them off the street, put them in a facility to feed them if they need medication or protect themselves, we must. Over there on Manhattan Island, what's that building over there? Wasn't that Randall's Island over well, there? Well, Randall's yeah. Island, where yeah. I used to turn yeah. out of street crime. Yes. But they have those buildings those there. Buildings There's a there. lot of facilities yes. over there. We yes. must enact this Well, thing. we have to do something because at the end of the day, it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better just making believe or kicking the can down the road. You have to do something about it. If there are individuals that need help, you have to get them the help that they need because there are a lot of people that do need help, but everyone is just kicking the can down the road, assuming that they're going to do it on their own. They can't do it on their own. It's up to the mayor of the city of New York to step up and step out and do what it is that he has to do to help every single member of this city. Well, all right. So now basically, you know, we have a little time constraint here, but what I want to talk about now mm -hmm. is what happened to you where that whole thing's at, and a lot of people don't know. My friend, I was so happy. I saw him last night. I gave him a big hug and a kiss. Yes, you did. And I didn't know you were out, and you were sentenced to 50-something months on. Why don't you tell us? I, was, I like one thing. Mm -hmm. I love people to be rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. And rehabilitated, whether you're guilty or not, mm -hmm. rehabilitation. I mean, we got this guy Wiener here who was a, a, a convicted pedophile. He's got. A, he's on a radio station now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. like the idea about rehabilitation. Why don't you tell us in a short period of time here that we have left, what happened? To well, you? I, I sat down with uh, an investment company mm -hmm. and I had the approval of three executive board members who were board of trustees. <laughs> and I also had the approval of the individual that was supposed to oversee our funds. And the funds were coming in great. This they were is the making, fund for the correction officers. Yes, this is this is an annuity fund. This is not a pension fund. And mm -hmm. people seem to get things mixed up. No union is allowed to invest pension money. That is strictly the controller's responsibility. Right. But everybody says pension, pension, pension. It's not pension. This was it, annuity. Annuity money. Annuity okay. money is given to the union so that they can invest it and make more money. I've made over $100 million since I've been president of the Correction Officers Benevolent Association. For the, the annuity. Yes. The investment that, the last investment that we made, we invested $20 million with the authority of the board and it went south. They screwed us. No question about so it. So you put and, $20 million into this investment firm. I think I know who they are. Platinum, right? Yes. Right. And I remember that little Jewish guy there. Yes. And I, I, I had some screwed. dealings with him. And I got like the heebie-jeebies when I met the guy. I knew the guy was a fagazi. But, I mean, you in your right mind, they give you a spiel. Well, we're going to take this $20 million and we're going to make it into $40 million. And in your mind, this is a good opportunity. Absolutely. Well, what was your commission on that? No commission. 
We didn't get no commission. Well, did they kick back? They, no, not, not at all. They just gave us profits on a piece of paper that said we're making money. So that was but fine. What about on that. you personally? Was there anything no. to you directly? No. Was that proven at all in court that you took any money for that? No. This, the only thing that came up was an individual, one witness who said, oh, I was investing and I offered Norman X amount of dollars. Okay. That is a lie. Now, okay. was, he, was he a co-conspirator? Yes. So he was a co-conspirator, and then he testified against you, Norman. Yes. And said that you uh, that he offered you money. Right. Did he now, say you took it, Norman? He said I did. But now let's go to the point. There's no video, no audio, no cameras, and they wanted no wires. Oh, they wanted you me. You were the target. Of course. You were, I hate to use it again, you were the John Gotti of correction officers. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. So they boy. want the top guy. Yep. So they let this down. What kind of sentence did the little creep have? I think he got uh, three months. Three months? I think what about so. the other defendants? I think he got uh, about three or four months. So everybody got months. And I got 58, 58 months. 58 months right. you got. Right. And the judge, God bless him, and I appreciate what he's done. He let me out in 21 months, okay, because there's something wrong here, okay? At the end of the day, Bo, I'm going to continue to fight to do what it is for justice to do what it is that I'm supposed to do because that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of these guys that just rolls over. Now, in hindsight, well, what I have, absolutely, in hindsight, would I have made that investment? No, I wouldn't have made the investment. But when I, you get three board members to go ahead and say, make the investment, these I gave board the, members of yours. Yes. And they have the authority to now, vote. Now, what happened to those three? Nothing. Nothing happened. To Nothing them. to them. And they agreed on this investment. Yes. Absolutely. And at the, at the end, look, this was a cleansing for me. Yeah. You know, going to federal prison was a cleansing for me. It gave me an opportunity to remove so many people who I thought were my friends that were around me that were not my friends. Mm-hmm. This gave me an opportunity to, and as you know, and others know that I'm a religious guy. I've always been from you day one. You went to one. trial, right? Yes, no. I went to trial. The first trial was a hung jury. Did they give you a plea offer first? No. They never offered you like no. a half a year or anything? No. No. And I did what I'm supposed to do. And I'm a God fearing man. And and I went and I got cleansed. They sent me to West Virginia. I did 21 months in West Virginia with some other inmates that are there in a camp. But at, at the end I of the was day, there. my friend Mel Weiss was there. Really? Mel Weiss, the uh, Milberg Weiss, the law firm class action. Yes. He did 12. I visited him. I flew out there with Steve Wickoff. We flew on his plane. And uh, not a bad place. Not a bad no, place. I'm not saying it was yeah. a bad place, but I'm. Better but what than I'm saying, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, when you look at it, there are so many individuals that are incarcerated for things that they have not done, or they're in jail. For example, you have individuals that are incarcerated there, and they're charged with a 924C, which is a gun charge. Yeah. But the 924C is connected to a drug charge, yeah. and it's not should not be connected because the gun belongs to the wife. The gun was in the house. So how you charge the kid with the gun and yeah. he he doesn't have that gun. Yeah. And just because it's it's just unfortunate. Well I'm sure when you're in the in the correction facility, look it, I've been I've been up in all of a northeastern mm-hmm. correction. I've been up there interviewing uh, uh my clients now that I'm mm-hmm. private practice. And everybody didn't do it. No. I'm, I'm in everyone's innocent. But the point is that it's something that comes in your head and 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 people who were incarcerated for so many years really start to believe sometimes they didn't do what they said they did too mm-hmm. understood but but it and that it, and that sort of like paints this picture for me there's there are people incarcerated that are going to come out 
and repeat, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, repeat the same crime. And they're going to do the same crime because there yeah. is nothing there for them. Uh-huh. You can't take a person just like, and let me just back up and back into this for a second. Yeah. The correction system in New York, in the state of New York, does not teach these individuals anything so when they get out they have no training you could take the buses on rikers island Mm -hmm. that are sitting there and you could teach these kids how to repair diesel buses Mm -hmm. you could bring apex in and Mm -hmm. teach them this stuff but they don't do that love it they would rather continue to spend money 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 bringing them back 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 but not teaching them nothing if you start to train them in in, while they're they're incarcerated get involved with the union absolutely get involved you could teach them how to do air conditioning you could teach them electricity you could give them something plumbing an alternative to going back into the street selling drugs that but these people and the mayor and others they don't think outside the box Think outside the box. How do you stop these kids from coming back into the communities, committing crimes that they're committing wow. that were incarcerated? You give them something so that they can go home and say to their wives, I'm, oh, I'm going to become an electrician. That's exactly right. Wow. This today, Dad, you just hit a man smashing. And I'm going to tell you something because we've got to wave down now. But all I can say, Norman, is you're one of the most interesting people that knows so much and you're so important Thank you, to brother. this mayor to this state, to this country, because what you see, what you saw in your life, you made a mistake. Maybe you didn't make a mistake. Regardless of anything, you've now cleansed yourself and you're going forward. What is your projection for your life now? What are we going to do, Norm? Because you know you got the bowman back here. Because <laughs> after listening to you here, I hope that the mayor listens to this whole interview and everyone out there tell people about this interview because you've hit on so many cylinders. I respect you so much for your intelligence. Please, what are you doing next, Norm? I I, I think, um, and and I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm being continuously being cleansed. I'm being directed to do something. And what I'm going to do next is I'm going to continue to fight for the rights of those that cannot fight for themselves. I'm going to continue to uplift those that cannot lift themselves. I'm going to continue to speak for those that cannot speak for themselves. I am going to press on to victory because I know it's just like uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis. Been there, done that. Just because I was in the pit, that doesn't mean I had a pity party. Mm. I do what it is that I'm supposed to do. God has blessed me and I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for you giving me the opportunity to have this interview. I'm thankful that the people are going to have the opportunity to hear what it is that's important so that we can move forward together, collectively, coalition-wise. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter to me. Those things don't matter. It's the person's heart and their intentions that matters to me. And we go from there. How do we, how do people get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Instagram. They could follow me on Instagram. You have the Instagram? Yes. Um, they could follow me at Norman Seabrook uh, on Instagram. I'm wearing a pink tie in case somebody else puts up and say that they're Norman. I'm wearing a pink tie. It's my face that you see there. Uh, you could follow me there. And, or uh, you could email me at Norman Seabrook, C-O-B-A, at gmail.com. And I'd right. be happy and to you. know what? With a lot of my uh, corporate clients... Uh, I think this would be a very good person to have as your guest speaker on any one of your corporate groups together. Because life that Norman has seen, not too many people have seen it. Both sides of it. And I, I and I want to thank you for coming in today. And uh, you know, you got me back here, Norman. Thank you for being here. Oh, I the love show. you. Thank you, man. All right, I really and, appreciate it. Ladies you. and gentlemen, till next week. I think we're having next week. Uh, 
Commissioner Bratton's coming in soon. We had Commissioner Kelly last week, and we're going to have Commissioner Bratton coming in. Ray wow, Kelly's this a great is, guy. This is some trio huh? <laughs> from the two police commissioners to the head of the Correction Benevolent. We're rocking and rolling we're here going at to. Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. Thank you very much. Thank Norman. you so much, Bo. God bless you. 